Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are those of the host, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by Kyle are my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses that I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we have a pair of special guests, Jara Clearfield, Chief of Staff of Marfor Cyber, and Ed Debish, Commanding Officer of the Marine Corps Cyberspace Operations Group, MACOG. Thanks for coming on the cast. Can you give us a quick intro? Yeah. Hey, John. So it's JR. So uh, I am uh, been in the Marine Corps for 28 years, infantry officer by background. Like you said, I'm the Chief of Staff of Marfor Cyber. Got to be one of the best commands and jobs I've had. Um and, I, you know, I've had some kind of unique experiences with the Marine Corps. So I've commanded at uh, platoon level when I was in my 20s, about 40 or so Marines and sailors. Commanded at the company level. Uh, again, early 30s, 100 to 200 sort of folks had some unique experiences there. And then early 40s, I got to command a battalion, uh, which was about uh, 1,200 Marines and sailors or so. And then in my late 40s, uh, I got to command a Marine Expeditionary Unit. And again, I had each of those jobs for about two years. In between, I did recruiting duty. I coached a football team uh, at the Naval Academy, which was uh, which I, I'd, I'd love to talk about at some point. Go Navy. We're definitely uh, going to touch on that. Yes. Yeah, I went to I went to OSD policy, you know, in and out of the Pentagon three three times, I think, for, for about a five-year total period. And uh, yeah, that's my kind of background going into this thing. Uh, excited to be a part of the podcast as General Glavy got, but I'm not sure you guys get it. He said, for long-time listener, first-time caller, that used to be back in the days of radio when, uh, when folks called in. So, so I'm, I'm in the same boat. Long-time listener, first-time caller, excited to be here. Excited to be a part of this with, with my good friend, Ed, too. Hey, thanks, Jr. Hey, good afternoon, Josh, Kyle, and Rich. Thanks for having me on the podcast. This is awesome. And I am, I am also a first time caller, but a long time listener. And uh, it's been fun listening to you guys over the last year, uh, put these things together. But a little bit about myself. So currently, like you said, I'm the CEO, the commanding officer of the Marine Corps Cyberspace Operations Group, a pretty dynamic and complex organization, um, currently growing too. Um, we are currently in the midst of uh, standing up um, network battalions and network activities across the regions uh, for the Marine Corps. And uh, the way that the organization looks right now, it has about 1,500 personnel, and it's a diverse group of civilians, contractors, and Marines. And Marines actually are being the smallest element that comprise the, uh, the MACOG. Uh, like JR, um, I have also uh, been in the Marine Corps for a number of years, currently uh, working on my 26th year, going on the 27th. Um, I also have uh, commanded at, uh, at really all ranks to include uh, platoon commander as a young lieutenant, um, as a company commander, the com company CEO as the, at the first service support group, which is no longer in existence. Now we call it the Marine Logistics Group. And, uh, and then I had the opportunity to, to go to command at the 05 level as a lieutenant colonel and command a Marine Wing Communication Squadron. And uh, that was a pretty awesome opportunity. Uh, but probably one of my most fun jobs that I ever had in the Marine Corps was actually being a MILFAC, a military faculty advisor at the Marine Corps Command and Staff College, where I had the opportunity to be in charge of a small group of 14 uh, majors and, uh, and teach them everything about 
command and staff uh, as it relates to the armed forces. So a lot of fun there, a lot of great experiences over the years. Uh, you know, I never coached a football team like JR, but I did coach on many, many occasions, my kids' baseball teams. And I probably did that at least a dozen times. And uh, and one sport I'm not very good at, but they allowed me to coach as well was, was basketball. And that was also a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, just having a great time, been doing this for a long time. Uh, much like JR's career, you know, been been weaving my way across the across the Marine Corps and uh, and across the Joint Force and uh, and loving loving every day of it. So back over to you all. All right, and and again, thank you both uh, so much for coming on. This is going to be an awesome conversation. So just going right into it. So JR, you were a MU commander, uh, as you mentioned, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, uh, and and what maybe the average listener might not know is that is a floating city, three ships essentially go anywhere in the world, nearly any mission you can be called for, you know, full, full spectrum uh, offensive operations, or you can go over to completely humanitarian, uh, you know, hurricanes, tsunamis, etc. cetera. Uh, so you have a whole lot of people across three ships. And these weren't people that were under your command the entire time they composite and chop over to you. So you somewhat have a team made up of a bunch of teams that weren't yours originally. So how do you take such a diverse team, bring them together and kind of get into the shared sole purpose mode? John, wow. Let me start up front with what, what you know, the team of teams thing, the, the epic, you know, sort of joint behavior of the Navy Marine Corps team. So yeah, um, uh, for those who don't know, a Marine Expeditionary Unit is three amphib- amphibious warships. Um, across those three ships are about fifteen hundred sailors, and then the Marines that the unit that I led is about twenty five hundred or so. So that's just the raw numbers, right? Like so, a little bit over four thousand, probably I would say forty five hundred across three ships. So there's enough power, right? Like these ships generate enough power for a small city. I would say probably, probably a city of 10 to 50,000, right? Like that's how much power they can generate. The ship's made of steel and it's in salt water. So, you know, again, back to, I think where we're going, you know, this is a show about information technology. I'm not really sure how we made all that work, but the United States of America and the United States Navy and the Marine Corps, God bless us. We figured out how they work that. Now, John, I think the only thing you didn't mention there is all three of those were little mini airports. Now, when I say that, they're airports, but they're moving and they pitch, they rotate. And anybody who's listening, who's ever been on a flight where they clap when you land, you know, try that on a postage stamp in the middle of nowhere on something that's moving left to right, forward and backward. You know what I mean? At a, at, a, at a steady pace with wind. I mean, it's it's complicated, right? And, and back to, I think, where your whole pad class about is it's math. This is a lot of this is just math, right? Like it, this is these are known knowns, but they're difficult. You know, they're difficult for humans to integrate into the endeavor. But to your point, John, I, I was blessed. And I think, you know, kind of invoking General Glavy when he spoke to you guys. So not for nothing, and I mean this in all sincerity, I had five lieutenant colonels, right? I had an XO and an operations officer. I said an executive officer and an operations officer. So I had a second in command and then somebody who ran operations for me who were 20-year Marines, 05 lieutenant colonels. 
And then I had three subordinate commanders that were all selected lieutenant colonel commanders. Like the Marine Corps were like, this is the person that I want in charge. And then, and then I had four sergeants majors and then two master gunner sergeants. I also, you know, just to think, I had a very, very talented chaplain. I had a very, very talented strategic comm officer. And I, I had people that I could get, if something was really important that we needed to get done, the way I did it, either I ran it or I put one of those, you know, nine people that I just managed. And I said, kind of like, uh, you know, you and I have experienced these, these last few years. Okay, you got 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. I need this done. I need it done right. You know, please. Uh, and let me know if you need anything from me. Resources, legal help. Oh, and that, I, I, I said the STRATCOM officer. I had a very good staff judge advocate. So I had a very, very good counselor. Very, very smart could really write really, really well. And I just leverage them. I leverage them. Um, because I'm smart. I think I'm smart, John, but I'm lazy too. So I think I leveraged them. And I think that I think that worked out for me. I think smart, but lazy is a great descriptor for everyone on this podcast right now, just to, to call it out and really own that environment. Thank you. And so JR, I want to ask you a question. Yeah, John, especially you, you, you are the definition of lazy in my mind. Uh, for all your listeners at home, this is the most intimate version of sarcasm that I can express to you. Uh, so JR, I want to ask you a little bit of a follow-up question to that because, you know, people who might not understand what running a Mew is, to summarize, it's a pretty damn big deal for anyone to be in charge of something that important and that massive. And you talk about, you know, the sheer power output enough to power a small city, not to mention the power that it can extend and the power that it can enforce forward in, you know, pursuit of our nation's goals. But can you talk a little bit about in charge of that floating city, what did this full spectrum role of cyberspace really mean to you in that? And, and how did you use the skills in, in running that entire MU along the information spectrum as well? Yeah, Kyle, so first of all, first things first, thank you. I, I, I like to tell my wife and my kids all the time, I am a pretty big deal. So I, I do like to point that out to them. But they're, I will just tell you, they're not, they're not all that impressed. My mom is, but, but, but not the way for not the way for kids. So here here's here's the thing about a marine expeditionary unit and I think all what you're talking about right now power projection. So there there was probably a time not so long ago when you think about the history of warfighting where the ability to maneuver in the commons and by that I mean in the sea like 12 nautical miles outside of anywhere is is wide open it's international waters you can go and float and sail and fly and kind of do whatever you want and 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 we were one of very very few nations that were capable of doing that when you say cyber let me can i can i kind of like recast it as the electromagnetic spectrum yeah of course it's game on sure it is this is cheap you and i kind of had a pre-talk kyle really quickly about 20 lines of code you can make a machine continue to do something over and over again, relentlessly, nonstop, that can, that can impose the cost on somebody, that can make somebody do something different. And I, maybe, maybe I jumped too far ahead in the, in the conversation here that we're about to have, but this is what being a Marine Expeditionary Unit Commander, I was you know, conventionally extremely capable unit very, very competent. We also have gain in this electromagnetic spectrum. 
but the adversary is it's it's they're on par. All right. So for listeners at home, JR's got to put a dollar in the jar for not silencing his phone on the podcast. Yes. But but hey, I I do have uh, one I want to bring in here. So Ed, you were in a very similar situation, although a little bit different. So Ed's not on a floating city, but he does have a bunch of slated commanders that are under him as well. So I wanted to kind of ask, did you choose to go about this kind of the same way JR explained of of you pick and choose a problem and 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 put somebody who's you know been slated, evaluated, and chosen to be a commander and or a, a very senior uh, enlisted member? Because just like he's got the ships and he's got airplanes and logistics and things like that, you've got the entire IT operations group and you have running the enterprise from an IT standpoint, you have our very specific defensive mission and then you have defensive teams as well. So how, how did you choose to go about solving those same types of problems? Wow, John, that's a, that's a great question. I actually had a much different approach than, uh, than JR. So JR... Uh, for his problem sets, absolutely makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, but the thing that we did do the same was the team of teams. Um, so my team's approach to this was much different than JR's in terms of the problem that I was potentially a- attempting to solve or trying to solve uh, was probably a technology problem. And you know, you know as well as I that sometimes your most senior folks, those slated lieutenant colonels or those GS-14s and 15s, may not be the most technically savvy or focused person. It's probably somebody down the food chain a little bit. And those are the people that I'm always in, in like a quest to understand and know who they are and know what they bring to the table. And uh, I see that every day in the organization when new problems arise and, and we have some really, really talented folks uh, that I rely upon heavily. Now I might put the the more senior folk in charge of it, but the person who's really going to solve that problem for me, that team is probably made up of much more junior, much more technically focused uh, individuals, probably the GS-12s and 13s, probably some contractor support, and uh, and it's probably those those young staff and COs and maybe the warrant officers, definitely in the, uh, the limited duty officer, restricted officer uh, community that just bring a whole lot to the table when we're trying to solve problems. So yeah, so team of teams, definitely. But in terms of who I put in charge to lead that thing and solve that problem, uh, probably a little bit different than JR's approach. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and so that kind of le- led me to my next line of questioning here, which was, you know, we, we talked about kind of generalized big problem sets and, and you just kind of brought me into very specific, very technical problem sets. And JR has a special place in my heart uh, because as an infantry officer, on his minus some other things on on his door at Mar for Cyber is his Network Plus certification, and so I'm sure you guys have heard a couple times now. I've ranted on the cast about senior folks who go get their IT certifications right as they're on their way out the door, um, and and Jr. did exactly what I would hope most senior folks would do: is if you're going to get a certification, get it when you can use it. So Jr. question to you is: Do you agree this was the right thing? What was that Net Plus? actually a thing would you recommend other leaders do that uh, or is john off the rocker on this one hey, hey john i am going to i'm just going to for you and, and and rich and you know sort to a certain degree i guess by extension kyle and and certainly my really good friend ed i will never forgive you guys 
for like what I know, what I like, I can't unlearn now. Right. Like, so I, I carry with me my network plus acronym list from comp TIA. And, and I don't know, you know, you guys love it. You live it. You know, the military is acronym heaven, but this is like, this is crazy, right? Like this is, this is really hard stuff. I think is what I would say. So yes, if you want to be, if you want to be serious about where warfare is going, how we compete, how we're going to fight, you know, whether it's tomorrow or 2030, you have to have an understanding, you know, so guys, I, I you know, back to Mew Command and, and I'll leave it at this. I was very, very lucky in that, you know, I think there's one two seater Harrier jump jet in the Marine Corps for training flights. And my aviation warfare commander helped me get into that aircraft and fly in the back. You know, I guess I was in the front seat, but, but the real pilot, the guy who was really flying was in the back seat. That's when I realized in the Harrier jump jet, which can take off and land like a helicopter and flies like a jet and drop bombs and, and go air to air if it needs to. It's a cool piece of tech. Water, water is just as important as fuel or ammunition. And I never, like, I never would have known that. So what, what things like Net Plus I think does for you is it gives you the basics of this is what's important. These are the considerations. These are the things you have to understand before you even begin to, you know, before you even begin to compete. I, that, I, I don't know if that was a good answer, John, but uh, that, 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 that's the best one I got. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. But uh, yeah. Absolutely. And uh Ed, I think you are caught squarely in the middle of, of a real generational struggle within the Marine Corps because I, I believe around your group or maybe slightly senior, there was kind of the attitude that if you went out and got an industry certification, that was a failure to commit to the Marine Corps. You just weren't in it to win it. You were going to get out or you know, certifications were terrible because God forbid, if we teach these Marines things and civilians find out that they can do other than military stuff, they're all going to leave and, and the nation will stop being secure. Um, and then my peer group, is the exact opposite, where it's it's harder to get us to pick up an MCDP than it is a certification manual. So uh, kind of straddling between the two, and I know you personally hold certifications, so you can't be completely against them. Um, do you have any thoughts on on this struggle, and do you regret or double down on, on your taking courses? Yeah, I absolutely double down on taking courses. Um, as, a, as a young Marine, when I was uh, probably in my late 30s, probably early 30s, maybe it was much different. If you were chasing certifications, then you really weren't doing your job. You know, we wanted you to focus on tactical Marine Corps comm stuff. But now that paradigm has completely changed. And our young officers now, the lieutenants, the captains, the majors, they are all in on, you know, getting their CISSPs, you know, getting their foundational certifications. And then, and then venturing off into, you know, because there are so many certifications you can get, whether it's CompTIA or ISAC or ISC squared, or you name it, Microsoft, Cisco. Yeah, they're, they are all over the, uh, the certifications route now. And it's really good to see. Matter of fact, when I talk to young officers, I usually ask them, hey, what certifications do you have? That's usually what we're talking about, about PME, uh, not have you done your command and staff college. Um, but what certifications do you have? <laughs> so yeah, that paradigm has definitely changed over the last uh, two decades. 
I vividly remember being over in Okinawa and getting signed up for a CISSP course over there, which was basically like winning the lottery and then being told two days later that I had to go to Staff Academy uh, and that I was going to not be able to attend the CISSP training. This is, mind you, after I'd already been selected for warrant officer. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, what absolute unfair the world or how absolute unfair the world would be. Now, little did I know I would learn an immense amount of great stuff at Staff Academy and I recommend everybody go to their actual military PME. But as soon as you're done checking that box, learning is continuous, go get your certifications plus plus to that. Yeah. The, the, the dirty little secret about PME. And if you really want to go back to war fighting, you'll find this in MCDP one. There's really three legs of the stool when it comes to PME. There's what the institution provides you in terms of our formal schools. There's what the command offers you, the commanding officer to, to his command in terms of training and education. And then there's what the individual cares to take on for themselves. And I would say the most important of all those three stools of PME is what the individual does because intellectual curiosity and individual PME is the things that are going to make the Marine Corps better. That is the return on investment that is that just continues to be there. So yeah, you, taking you out of that school, Kyle, and making you go to command and staff, probably not the best choice for a, uh, for a restricted officer. It, it worked out okay for me, but I will say I love that three-legged stool analogy right there and how the Marine is the most important part of the Marine Corps. It boils down to that in every aspect, no matter what field you're in, what your specialty is. If you are passionate about something, every single part of the Corps should should support you in, in exploring that passion and learning how to use it for the Marine Corps in the best way. Speaking of passion, I feel like Rich has to be at either three-quarter knife hand or high holy knife hand. Um, Rich, what, what do you got here? <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, no, no, this is a great conversation. I was just uh, waiting for a good time to come in. But um, I, speaking of all this preparation, right, whether it's uh, the three-legged stool we just got done talking about with professional military education, or yourself individually going out and getting training. Uh, I, I actually have a question for JR, just because I'm really interested in, in his perspective on this. So, so JR, so following a successful MU leadership tour, no big deal, right? Uh, you were assigned as the operations officer at Mar4 Cyber. Can you quickly kind of provide our listeners with a, with a job description of like what that role was as the operations officer at Mar4 Cyber? Because it's also, in my opinion, a pretty big deal. And then in what ways your MU experience helped you prepare for this new full spectrum role in cyberspace? And then really quickly, in which ways did you have to like innovate and adapt on your own? Geez, Rich, thanks for the softball. Um, you know, to, to, the, to the previous question, I, I, what we were talking about, Rich, I will get to it. And, uh, you know, so I think we learn, I think what you guys are all capturing is, and, and I got to say, I, I, you know, the audience, I'm assuming this is a lot of Marines, but the Marine Corps is great, right? Like, so we learn through several ways, right? Like experience, education, self-study and mentorship. And like, maybe there's more than that. I think the Marine Corps has it right. Like we can, we can complain, you know what I mean? About the way, the way people prioritize certain things. So Kyle, I hear you loud and clear. I'm sorry that happened, I think. I'm not. But, but I think that was just a leader like, hey, bro, yep. you can go do this yep. anytime you want. This thing is finite, right? Like this is an escaping opportunity. It was the right call um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. love it so, at the time, but in hindsight, I realized the value. No, no, right, right, exactly. right, right. Like this, you know, you can go do this online thing or you can go do that anytime you want. 
But the staff academy thing, this is a big deal, right? And, and so we got you a spot, you're qualified, you make the height and weight, you got the physical <laughs> fitness score, you got the GT. Like, I mean, I don't know that you guys, sometimes it makes me wonder if you guys understand how hard this is. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we celebrate, like it's like a time, like we got, Kyle got into the course. Woo. Oh, he doesn't want to go. Right. right, Yeah, he doesn't, but he doesn't, hey, hey, sir, hey, ma'am, Kyle doesn't want to go. You got to, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, you got to be kidding me. Why doesn't he want to go? Well, he's got this other thing going on. Well, is this other thing like a once in a lifetime thing or can he do this anytime? Oh, it's just one of these things you can do anytime you You want. You know, JR, it's like you were in the room when my first start was yelling at me. It's like you were there. (laughs) I feel feel it all coming (laughs) back right now. Why don't you appreciate (laughs) me? Exactly. Like we... We yeah, do, then, we do think through this. We, yes. the collective we, Ed, I'm, I'm bringing you into the group right now with me. We do think through this stuff. We really do. It's, it's, it's love. It's tough love. I mean, the Marine Corps is all. If it's anything, the Marine Corps is an outfit about tough love. Oh yes. I know what's better for you than you do. Speaking you know? of speaking of tough love, I've, I've got a good one. So. Uh, Ed is, is, and I, I do not want to take anything away from how amazing or complex the Mew is, but I will say at Paris Island, they make you memorize everything about that. Magtaf, you know, da, 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 da. Like everybody knows about the Mew, knows about the purpose, knows how it's structured. Not a single Marine in the Marine Corps doesn't know that. Ed was slated to take over what I personally feel is, at least in, in my cognizance and, and knowledge, the most complicated organization that you can take over uh, because- or at least totally different than the way that Marine Corps normally organizes. It, exactly. They, they right. don't teach Marines at Paris Island how the MACOG is, is organized, for instance. Um, and it's not just IT operations, which if you think about every single computer in the Marine Corps, Ed's in charge of that. Any one of them, any general, any whatever, like Ed's fault. Um, so that's the operation side of it. He also owns the defense too. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, ah, every single nation state that wants to attack us, eh, Ed again. Um, and as he mentioned, completely or nearly completely civilian workforce as well. So, Ed, when, when you saw your name on the piece of paper that said, Ed's going to command the MACOG, how did you decide to wrap your head around that and, and prepare for taking over a command of, of such a both unique and complicated organization. Well, well, JR is probably laughing right now because he's wondering how I'm going to answer this question. Because Ed was not originally slated to command the Marine Corps Cyberspace Operations Group. I was originally commanded to command the Marine Air Control Group in Great Lakes, Illinois. So MACG 48 is what I was originally slated to command. Which is different. Which is very, very different. So something that I didn't talk about when you asked me to introduce myself was that most of my experience in the Marine Corps is with the aviation community, generally as a communications officer, but I've done four different tours and five significant billets in the aviation community. And the board felt that I was qualified and competent to command a Marine Air Control Group. And that is the organization that implements the aviation command and control apparatus for the commander of a Marine air wing to fight his force. So I was pretty excited about that. And then in May, um, I was asked to come to the MACOG and I got redirected. 
So I had about two full months, not really, probably about seven and a half weeks. What you do prepare. with all your spare time? Yes, to prepare <laughs> for uh, for coming to the Macag. And oh, by the way, during that period of time, I was in Okinawa, Japan, as the G six for three for three MEF, the Third uh, Marine Expeditionary Force, and I was there unaccompanied. And my family was back in San Diego. Uh, at the time. So I had to move myself and then move my family and get us all into uh, to Virginia here to to get ready to command the Macau all in about seven weeks. So uh, how much planning and preparation did I do? Um, a little bit. I did, I did do a little bit because uh, there was a current commander that was sitting in the seat and, uh, and she helped get me up to speed uh, as much as she could within those seven weeks. But it really wasn't until I got here uh, at the Macau uh, that I really started to understand and learn the complexities of the organization and then the full breadth and scope of my new set of responsibilities. And, uh, and then once I was in command, I, I'll be honest with you, it was long nights, it was weekends, uh, it was a lot of reading, a lot of briefings, a lot of personal interaction, engagements that helped me understand truly what the needs of this command were and kind of where the command currently was and where I thought the command was going. Um, a lot of interaction with the higher headquarters, a lot of interaction with, uh, with JR. Um, we had many, many one-on-ones uh, throughout the days and you know, long calls in the evenings about where we were going, what the joint information environment was looking like. And that was kind of the roadmap that we were attempting to, to go down. Those big, huge things that we were going to attempt to tackle really within my next two years of, of, of command, things that had set idle for, uh, for, you know, quite a long time in the Marine Corps, things that people said we're never going to do that were things that we were going to attempt to tackle uh, within these two years with uh, GIE. And it was really General Glavy who really pushed, pushed myself, pushed JR to, to really start implementing and moving the Marine Corps down that road. So yeah, it was, it was pretty challenging. And if I could just leave you with two of the probably most critical elements that I felt as a commander that I really needed to start to instill within the command. And, um, and the first one was, was trust. Trust to me is absolutely the most important thing, but the only way you gain trust uh, with people is getting to know people to understand what their skill sets are, what those limitations are. And, uh, and then the second one is, is people just being positive, having a positive attitude and knowing that we can accomplish some things that were insurmountable, you know, giving people, the empowerment and the ability to really achieve things that they never thought they could achieve and, and, be, and do it in a positive way and know that we trust them and know that if they make a mistake, it's not truly the end of the world. We'll recover from it. And, uh, and I'll take all the blame and we'll give them all the success. But, uh, but th- those truly were the, probably the two, two biggest things that I really tried to focus on was, was the trust part and being positive as I ch- attempted to build these new teams within the, within the command. So. Awesome. And thank you for that question. Ed, I want to put you on the spot a little bit more here because on this cast, we love to get into the weeds on on nerd stuff and on technology in general. And so coming with very short notice to such a um, acronym soup of a command with new technology and things that you maybe, you know, and you were coming as a G6 at 3BF. So I'm sure you had good context on it. What was like the number one technological thing that you did that helped you prepare for this? Um, I'm going to make massive assumptions about all the different ways that different commanders helped you come up to speed and the previous commander, obviously, and things like that. But from a just technology perspective, what did you find was extremely useful to you coming into command such a, an advanced organization? 
I think the most important thing for me was I did a weekly engineering sync with, uh, with my chief engineer, uh, Jeff Proudfoot and, um, and our, and our senior architect, uh, Steve Page. And we would sit down and we would go through, uh, the current state and then what we were attempting to go through with the future state and all the muscle movements that would, that would need to take place, uh, to get to that future state. And, uh, and I think those engagements and just continual conversations, and, and I say that they were, they were once a week, but it was more like I was calling them down to my office almost daily to, to make sure that I fully understood what it is we were about to tackle. And if we had the right skill sets and we had the right, you know, people and processes in place to be able to implement this. So it was really, really challenging, uh, the way that we were going to attempt to unfold this. And it, and it truly was uh, all about resource management, you know, people, time, money to, to implement this. But, but that team, and, and I only named those two, but there's a whole cast of engineers and architects behind them who kind of got pulled into my, uh, my weekly syncs, which have now grown to almost 20 people on a phone call every Tuesday morning, which is pretty awesome. So I, I, I want to double click on something there because I've always felt, you know, I was chief warrant officer when I was in. So maybe this is a bit selfish on my side that, you know, the, the quality of your commander is a direct result of how well you and the people who are duty experts in your command can help train your own leaders, right? Like I looked to go to my commander as warrant officer in any unit and help educate them on a daily basis of all the weird stuff that I was having to deal with on their behalf so that they had full context to make better snap decisions when they needed to make those snap decisions when, you know, the delegation wasn't there or the decision was too of high gravity for someone at my level to make the decision the commander needed to. So just anyone listening out there, no matter what command you're in, it's your job to help educate those above you also in the ways that you are perhaps significantly more nerdy in some way. And I expect that anyone who's smart enough to have all these crazy industry certifications also knows how to share that knowledge with those around them. Because especially as you're in the Marines, if you go get a certification or you go get some specialized training, that's great for you, but how are you giving it back? How are you sharing that love to everyone around you, you know, left, right, and up? Yeah, and and the I just wanted to weigh in here real quick. The the second set, well, one hundred percent, Kyle. Yes, that. But the second part of that is is as a leader, you have to like want to listen to the answers of your SMEs and things like that. So you know, credit to Ed and one of the things he you, like you probably wouldn't expect an 06 commander to be doing this, but I have been in his office before and we were talking about specifically how to allow and not to allow packets to route certain areas. That's the level of detail. You have to want to listen to those things. You have to care about how important even nuanced little like we're not going to route here, we're going to route here uh, types of discussions. So it's the SMEs need to be able to put that out there and be willing to teach and coach and learn and mentor. And then the leaders need, you got to be involved. You got to be about it. So yeah. And, and I, I think Rich probably has some stuff he wants to add here as well. Yeah. So I actually just want to take um, a quick second to kind of inform our listeners of something and also to thank the two gentlemen that we have on the cast. So uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, team of teams that was mentioned twice on the cast. It, you know, Ed talked specifically about trust, right? Which if you read that book and what General McChrystal and his staff talk about, they talk about four things, right? The first one is trust, uh, establishing that. The second one is alignment, getting all the resources in your organization actually focused uh, and aligned together. The third is what they refer to as common purpose. So now that your trust is there, your alignment's there with your resources, 
you have to have this common purpose that you can inspire people around. And then they talk to getting to this nirvana state, which is what they refer to as a shared consciousness, right? So your organization starts to self, what we would call self-align, where after you have all the three previous things, they're now thinking, okay, as new challenges come up, how does this shared consciousness across the organization work so they can focus on new challenges and, and move forward? And so the reason why I bring those four things up and, and wanted to mention that specifically on this instance of our cast is, um, so there are some guys known as Rich and John who uh, went to guys named uh, JR and Ed and said, hey, we got some stuff that we want you all to do. Can you please listen to us? Uh, so this happened around September of 2019, where we came together and said, we would like to try to get our organization known as the Marine Corps to do those four things across our enterprise architecture from the tactical comms that are out there on the MU that JR commanded all the way to the central hierarchy of network operations and defense that Ed manages currently. And both being relatively new to the organization, they empowered John and I and, and a host of others, like uh, Ed mentioned on the call, Mr. Proudfoot, Mr. Page, to go drive cross business unit initiatives to get our network to the state where we could have large enough bandwidth and throughput to get cloud services and we could defend them in a way that was in near real time. Uh, and so instead of ranting here, I, I just wanted to take a moment to say we've actually had the ability to do this in the Marine Corps. And it's because of leaders like JR and Ed and, and, and General Glavy that we were empowered to go do that work. And a lot of the genesis for this podcast, innovation, right? new technology, all came out of that 2019 event where we were able to come together and try to accomplish some very discrete goals that were wickedly challenging, but required everybody across the enterprise. So I'll stop there and just say, like, the reason we're even on this cast today is because of these two gentlemen and their boss. And so, so gentlemen, I just want to say thanks. I know we're kind of grilling you with questions right now, but uh, it's really, really, really been awesome working with uh, and for both of you. So, so thanks. And, and John, I'll turn it back over to you. I will turn it back to the grilling immediately. Uh, so gentlemen, you, uh, in turning Rich's uh, statement into a question, you oversaw a pretty massive uh, transformation in both kind of physical, logical form of the updating of the network. And you also saw from a organizational slash management switching to agile project management as well as uh, OKRs. So uh, and it doesn't matter who wants to go first, but big deal. Please discuss. Go ahead, JR. Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to say that, Ed. Hey, Rich, that was, that was really eloquent. Not that you aren't always, but uh, Rich is our resident polite guy. And I, he's he's always on. I know, so and good. I feel and I feel like I dodged this question earlier with with going somewhere else. But uh, so we can come back to that if you want to, Rich. I, I'm I think the way to answer your question is we got we we, we kind of got a perfect storm. First of all, for those. I, I don't know what else to say. Major General Glavy is in a hurry, right? I don't know if you got that from the podcast, folks. He's in a hurry. Results, 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 right? So, okay, sir. So, right time of it. But he is also, right now, the convening authority. He is, we, we are the cyber component for the Marine Corps. 
So there's a whole bunch of crooked lines. And, and uh, you know, for the, for the folks listening out there, ladies and gentlemen, the autocratic people that we're competing with, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, um, they're, they're autocratic, right? Like there's a person that's making decision. It's difficult to compete with. It's hard to outcycle like that. Like that's like a hedge coach of a football team. That's not the way we do it. It's by committee, everything we do in America. And, 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 you know, so we're set up that way. So there's a certain section of the Marine Corps that buys the systems, right? There's a certain section of the Marine Corps that develops the requirements. There's a certain section of the Marine Corps that war games it out. There's a certain section of the Marine Corps that decides how we're, you know, conceptually how we're going to operate. But they're aligned to the way America works. It's not ideal. It's not efficient. And in the IT world, it's really, really difficult. So we got a, we kind of got a wartime commander is what I would say, who, who, who temporarily straightened out all those crooked lines for us. So we, we decided to adopt to this joint information environment. And we decided what is the joint force doing? How do we plug into this? How can we minorize this? How can we get to a hybrid cloud? And, uh, you know, look, I, these guys are being a little self-deprecating and giving me a little bit more credit than I need. I mean, you know, I, I don't know who I am in this story, but they're, they're the heroes. I just, I just, I just sort of, this is all common sense stuff. It, 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 it really is. I had a wartime commander who wanted results. And so we went through the operations officer of the Marine Corps and said, sir, you know, let's operationalize this. And he did. He bought it. He, yeah, I got it. This is exactly what we need to do. And I'm probably missing a lot of gaps there, Ed. You, you can fill them in for me. But I think that's what we did. We just, we just, this temporal aspect of right now, immediacy, getting after it. We, we, we know how the Marine Corps works. We know what deputy commandants are responsible for what. And, and we just, you know, we kind of did a little bit of the homework for them. Please, this is what we need to do. And now we really do, we are, thanks to, you know, two of the guys who are, all, you know, on this podcast, we're in the 21st century. We got a 21st century collaboration tool. Over. Hey, hey Jer, that was awesome. And uh, who you are in this story you know, it's not just that you were the, the G3 and the chief of staff, but, you know, your your influence, both with the commander, you know, with Major General Glavy and with myself as kind of the go-between in a lot of times to to be able to smooth things out and uh, and allow us the operational space, some timing there to maybe work out some kinks, but still go fast. And I think that's probably the most important thing. And that's kind of who you are in this story is the, the guy who, who's like the mediator in a lot of this uh, and helping me drive it and helping drive expectations with the, uh, with the CG. But the best thing about the CG is obviously, you know, he is results driven. OKRs operate, uh, you know, um, objectives and key results. I, I may not have used that term when I first got into command, but I'm definitely using it now. And one of the one of the key things that Rich taught me when he came and briefed me on on safe agile and you know the scrums and and that we can reorganize in a different way to deliver value faster than we ever thought we could. Um, at first, I was like, "Well, Rich, how am I going to stack this up?" 
with the other priorities within the command. And what I was missing was it's not a competing priority. It helps me actually get after my priorities in a way that I never had before. Uh, using talent across all organizations, not just within my command, but talent within uh, Systems Command, talent up at Marfor Cyber, and others that we can cycle this thing faster than we ever could before. So you, Rich, created, you know, on, with General Glavie's authority, uh, Task Force Phoenix, and and it was awesome. And we were and we took on the Enterprise Infrastructure Modernization uh, Program to uh, to tackle first which is great. And then internally within the MACOG, I wanted to stop planning and start doing as well. And I stood up something called Task Force Eagle. And we started going down all the business lines. And uh, and, and if you remember Mrs. Spinks, I got to give her a lot of credit in this too, who's been nameless in this story, but has been a huge, huge advocate of operationalizing us and making sure that we're able to prioritize and get after the things that make sense. So she had done this thing called Cyber Jitsu. And we had basically five areas that we were going to attempt to get after. Well, her five areas in this cyber jitsu model, those ended up becoming our initial epics within SAFE, within that scaled agile framework. So that was our first uh, schwack at it. And then we started filling in all the work behind that and, uh, and then trying to prioritize it. And what it did across my command was two really key things for me. It made all the work visible. I now knew what was visible and what we had in backlog. And then it made the resources, what was going to be put against that, very transparent. So then JR as the three, if he was going to task me to do something different that we did not currently have uh, ongoing or in progress work, I could tell him right away, like, if you give us this, this is going to stop work in these other areas because the people and with that expertise it is the are the only people in this command that could potentially do it. So really, really powerful, and uh, and we're getting better and better at it every day. Uh, we're about a year and a half into our into our agile journey. We're not perfect, and I don't want to give the, uh, the the misleading comment that uh, this is all you know rainbows and, and sunshine. It, it's it's not. It's been hard. It's been hard leading a civilian contractor military workforce uh, to get everybody on the same sheet of music. But it's been really, really powerful. And we've been able to accomplish a ton of stuff really to get the Marine Corps in a position to adopt this hybrid cloud technology and, uh, and really future-proof our architecture for the next 10 years, in my opinion. We're future-proofing this thing right now with the way we're modernizing it. And, uh, and this is all due to you know Major Vaccarello at the time and uh, coming down and talking to Colonel Devish about this idea he had. So I, I give huge, huge props to you uh, for planting the seed in my mind. And I'll lead you with one other thought on this. The whole team of teams concept. Team of teams uh, was actually, I wrote that language in my command philosophy. And what I was attempting to do was what you described to me that day in September. And I just hadn't conceptualized how I can do it in my command without reorganizing. Because that was one thing I did not want to do was waste a whole lot of time reorganizing uh, a bunch of boxes in the command and doing a realignment. But what you led me onto was a way that I could actually cross-functionally reorganize some teams and empower people uh, to work 
as teams together with authorities from different parts of my command without having to go through a reorganization, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. So all the credit back to you. I'm just uh, I'm just a guy who had the authority to to implement it. So I say thanks. Over to you, Rich, if you want to chime in. Yes, sir. I'll just say uh, I know there's kind of like a, a lot of thanks going back and forth on this call, but I will say this much. Uh, I, I'm just kind of paying it forward, right? Like, so Kyle, you know, he's lived this objectives and key results, you know, a very Google uh, focused or, or kind of built um, framework for goal delivery, right? And, you know, I got the opportunity because I transitioned out of the active component in the reserve component and then got a job in the private sector and was able to kind of take that information, bring it back to the service component. And I think that's what's so key about kind of what I'd like to tell our listeners on this cast, right, is that there's no real one defined career path that you can take in your career, right? But if you're passionate about something and you're passionate about the organizations you work for, you can kind of bring that forward. So Kyle, you know, uh, without kind of belaboring the point here, I I just kind of wanted to turn over to you and just say like, you know, what are your thoughts on that, right? Like goal delivery from a uh, multi-unit, multi-functional team perspective, like you've seen successes and failures. So uh, does that make sense to you? It, it does. And I think one of the biggest challenges and sort of thought experiments that I run through my head a lot as we plan this cast and talk to such incredibly talented and, and effective senior leaders is how well do these very tried and true civilian planning methods work in this crazy, you know, multifaceted warfighting machine slash joint environment scenario, right? How do you take something like the traditional OKR, right? And we're talking like the measure what matters book. For those of you listening to the cast, go get it, go read it. It's the jam. And turn that into something that will work for a a fighting force that has to be as agile as possible. And I don't mean that in the project management category. I mean, like actual definition of the term, turn on a dime, react to any threat, no matter how benign and natural or foreign actor it may be to do this. And and I don't have a great answer to this. And I, I actually want to hear from Ed and JR on this, which is, I fully believe that OKRs will save your life if you are inside of a civilian environment and you need to just plan what you need to do and what is actually important to you, right? Like if I have five OKRs right now in my job and I know exactly what I need to do for the next six months, right? And that may change tomorrow, but the fact of the matter is for today, I know what I need to get done and everyone around me can see my OKRs and I, I don't put my certifications on my door, but I do put it on my email signature, a link to my OKRs. I don't use email, but that's not the video there. And so anyone can look at what I'm trying to accomplish. What are my goals? How do I want to measure my own effectiveness this year or this this half of a year? And everyone around me does that too. So I would imagine in a Mu commander's role, all the sub-element commanders and all of your, you know, your your S commanders and J commanders would have a set of goals that they want to try and accomplish also within the current mission set. And everyone knows what it is, right? Everyone has their task in the five paragraph order of what's actually going to get done. And they know what they need to do. And they turn that into their own sub-command orders. But I don't know how well that works in the traditional sense. If I set my objectives and key results in, in a way where it's not in a dynamic warfighting environment, how do you adjust those on the fly? And is that just a frago to adjust what your OKR is in a tactical environment or not? I don't have a great answer to that question. I'm interested to hear from you. Yeah, and I just wanted to jump in here because I, I, I've i got a direct answer to that, but uh, I'm going to take the the roundabout rich way in doing it. Okay, uh, do it. Yep. So to kind of highlight what both JR and Ed said earlier, or, or to kind of really tease it out, we buy M16s and or M4s and Humvees and airplanes and IT. 
the same way. You have money that comes from requirements. You have a command that takes that money and builds and engineers a thing and then hands it off to someone who operationalizes it. In this case, Ed does it, but that's not how it works for every single thing we buy in the Marine Corps. Um, so yes, 100% to what Rich and Ed and JR said about how they did the operationalizing it part of that, right? But you got, if we want to use the three legs of the chair scenario, you got to get the requirements right. You got to get the engineering and procurement right. And you need to get all of them together on board, same sheet of music. Um, and so, so, you know, since we're tossing out a bunch of kudos, kudos to everybody across the organization who decided to, instead of keep their blinders on and say, sorry, bro, I'm the requirements guy. I don't want to hear about your agile crap. Uh, or, hey, I engineer and and procure this stuff. I'm in Contractville. I don't care about your Agile stuff. It, it is a mindset thing. And to your OKR question, yeah, it can change. And it can be amazing in the military focus. But if from the top down, people don't understand how it works and aren't bought in, doesn't matter how good it is. Shelve it if they're not going to buy in. Ed or JR, anything on your side you want to add to that? Ed, are you going to make me jump in first? I think uh, you yeah. went last time, Jay. I think Ed should have to go first by the the law of good podcast rules. So, yeah, John's John's one hundred percent right. When that when everybody is on board with uh, with doing it a certain way, it does make life a whole lot easier for everybody downstream who has to has to do the uh, the operations. You know, has to implement this thing, operationalize it, and then of course uh, sustain it going going long term. I think the beauty about uh, about agile is taking the uh, those unique authorities from all those different commands and uh, and then putting them together so you could cut down the time it takes waiting. And that's that's our biggest problem in the Marine Corps is the shift from one organization to another or even one section to another within a specific command. Um, you really hurt yourself, and then the next or, uh, section or organization that gets it. Uh, you know, there's this immense waiting time. And, and I think what we have done was cut down the waiting time. We, we have some examples in, in this command where we have implemented things uh, and operationalized it on a timeline that would have been never even envisioned a couple of years ago. Um, we just did something out in Guam where we put in a new enterprise service stack and did it in three weeks. And if you were to look back in history at how long it would take us to do that in the past, that would have been a multi-month evolution to coordinate that effort and get people out there to have that thing operationalized. And we did it in three weeks. So there are tremendous benefits uh, for the Marine Corps to do this at a strategic level, as well as down at the tactical level, where really, you know, my team uh, fights on a day-to-day -day basis. So uh, yeah, huge, huge value. So, Jr., I, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, but uh, those are my thoughts. Oh, Ed, you know, once again, I I don't know what to say. You know, I'm like I'm like on a podcast right now with like four of the smartest people I know, and and I I don't know how to compete with this. I I will tell you this. This is what I think. A couple of things. One, I know how to drive my car. I know when I put a right turn signal on, I take a right turn. I don't exactly know how a combustion engine works. I don't even actually know how the electronics in the car's engine works that the right turn signal goes on when I hit the lever up to go right, but it does. 
And that becomes automated over time. Like it just happens. I get learned into it. What I think you guys have all taught me, and back to you, what you were saying, Ed, is we, we've gotten conditioned to be reliant on things that we think are always going to be there. And I'm not, I, I, I think what we're all trying to do, right? And I'm looking at, I'm not looking at them, but I'm talking to them, John and Rich and Ed. We, we're going to get into a fight where we can't, we can't depend on the right, like the stoplight's not going to work the way we thought it would, right? Right. The right turn signal's not going to work the way we thought it would. Somebody is messing with what we're doing. And, and so I think to Ed's point though, what Ed just said was Ed's job wasn't to have the best ideas. It was to listen to all the ideas and figure out which were the best ones. And he did that. He's my buddy. I, I'm not going to say, but him and Glavy, they are, they are top notch. They really, really are. They figured it out. They could shift through all that stuff and figure out what the best ideas were. And they're positioning in us so that on a bad day, when the right turn signal doesn't work, you actually got like an indicator like, oh, it's not working the way it's supposed to. Because otherwise, we're going we're gonna to be in a lot of trouble in and the only other thing I would say is, Rich, I feel like you, you asked me, you, th- you threw me a hard ball, like a hard, fast one, right? right like, like inside, like you walked me off the plate. <laughs> I don't, but, but, but did I answer your question or, or, or do I need to come back over? No, you got it, sir. You, you totally answered my question um, about just what it takes to, to, to come into an organization like this. So thank you. Speaking of fastballs, though, I got one teed up. Um, so on the, I would say pretty much every episode on this cast thus far, I, I think our general theme has has very much been pushing towards like get off of your comfort zone and it, and, and adopt these new concepts, technologies, etc. Um, but Ed is in a specifically interesting position where I, I'm not saying not to do those things, and I'm not saying that's not important. But Ed's also it, the guy responsible at the end of the day. It's his phone who rings when. For instance, some of the new fancy agileness might take a site down. Um, And and keep in mind, some of our sites, for instance, are in charge of making sure Marines get paid. Think think about this headline, you know, Ed takes down base and Afghanistan deployed Marines are not getting paid anymore. Uh, Those are the types of consequences um, so, and, and Ed, I know for a fact that you've had to sit through a, a good amount of things like this. So as a leader, knowing how, and, and you can hear the passion in your voice right now, knowing how important this is to you and how much we do need to kind of get ahead of things and get towards the pointy edge, how do you kind of like take those gut shots when they come and, and how do you balance the risk tolerance so that the things that have to happen and still are able to happen within a reasonable tolerance of risk? Well, wow, thanks for the easy question. I appreciate that, John. <laughs> I'll be here all week. So let me let me tackle the the risk part first. So when we when we think about risk, at least in 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 our organization um, in in the Macog, um, we I have become very risk adverse when it comes to cybersecurity. So cybersecurity and being compliant are really at the top of my list because I don't want the Marine Corps to ever have a bad day and, and I be responsible for something that I ignored 
because I was attempting to allow convenience occur on the network. So we all talk about confidentiality, integrity, and accessibility. I don't want to allow accessibility of our network to occur at the expense of security. And I look at that very, very critically when it comes to that. And General Glavy has been awesome. He has had our back so much when it comes to enforcing compliancy on our network uh, when it comes to risk. Uh, So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of risk is taking risk in order to create value for the user on the network. So we don't have a really good digital twin of the Marine Corps Enterprise Network that we can test and develop on. So what that does is it creates this unique circumstance where a lot of times I'm doing proof of concepts and I'm testing on the production network um, in order to deliver some future value to people and roll that capability out. And I think that's the thing that that I am really, um, I want to take those risks. I want to be able to, to, to make those changes on the network in order to create value for the user in a much more timely way than we ever had in the past. You know, a couple of months ago, I listened to one of y'all's podcasts and I forget who said it on there, but one of y'all said, when you're doing something like a proof of concept, you need to make it work, make it right, and then make it fast. And, and I was thinking about that and I was like, well, that's kind of how we do business on the enterprise network right now when it comes to delivering new capabilities. A proof of concept is the time and place where we attempt to, to make it work. And then once we got that thing working, then we attempt to make it right. And then once we have it in a right box, then we expand it and we create a pilot. And we start having users around the Marine Corps testing out that feature or that new capability. And then once we think we have it fully right, then we go fast with it. We go velocity. We deploy this out to the rest of the force. And, uh, and then we're cooking with gas. So I think when I, when I think of risk in that aspect, those are the kinds of things that I'm willing, uh, willing to do as the guy who's accountable and responsible for the, the secure operate and defend mission uh, of, our, of our enterprise networks. So uh, th- hopefully that answers your question. I don't know if it th- – what was your first question? Because I know I skipped to the second one, but what was the first part? I, I just asked how you dealt with the gut punch, you know, like how do, I, how, how do yeah, you deal with sure. the gut punch as the leader? And I, I think I think you pretty much uh, covered it unless there's anything additional you want to put there. Well, I, I would say it's easy to take the gut punch, to be honest with you. And the thing that you have to do most as the leader of the organization, the face of the organization, is protect your people and allow them to do their work when you're having a bad day. The last thing they need is uh, requests for information coming in sideways to the command and from the higher headquarters. As the commander, I need to be the guy who blocks all that. I need to be the guy who's constant contact with the higher headquarters and external agencies uh, to make sure that I'm allowing them the opportunity to focus on what they need to do to fix whatever that issue or problem is. So that that's probably, uh, or that is actually how I deal with it. And you're right. We had an issue where, you know, Marines were very close to not getting paid, um, you know, and, um, and, and we really focused hard. We stood up a crisis action team. We established a major incident response team uh, to really focus on that. And I left those people alone to be able to focus on those challenges while I was the one who was providing updates to General Glavy and then up to uh, eventually the Commandant of the Marine Corps to let them know what was going on with, uh, with that one particular issue. 
Yeah, it's it's a lot easier said than done to like hold the line and trust your people uh, when when the commandant's office is ca- calling multiple times a day. Uh, Jr., I think you said you wanted uh, you wanted to add something here. I, I did, John. And and what what probably a lot of people don't understand is that in the Marine Corps. Well, no, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, yeah, in the military. There's authorities, right? Like that authorities is there is a commander that is in command and control. But with the network, architecture dictates authorities. And it gets really, again, back to sort of what I was saying about crooked lines. And uh, again, I, I give you, you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do first names. So I'll say John, right? Uh, Eric, uh, Rich. Uh, Lorenzo, Adrian, there were a few of you guys who helped me figure out these crooked lines. And as soon as we explained that to the CG, and to be fair, I did check your homework, John and Rich, with Ed. As soon as he said it was okay, I, I went to Glavia and said, sir, this is, this is what I think we need to do. And he was like, yeah, well, wh- what took you so long? So anyway, um, yeah, I, I think I'm I'm proud of... I'm proud of where we're at right now. We, we, the Marine Corps is actually, Kyle, the Marine Corps is using Office 365. It has a 21st century collaboration tool. They still complain about everything, but they are, they are using it. And it's because of, the, of these guys that I'm on with. And, and for the record, right? Like Marines are going to complain no matter what you give them. You could give them the most perfect tool in the history of the planet and we will find a way to complain. And that's good. It's when they're silent, we're worried. Yeah, you need to be terrified when you don't hear anything about something new like that. Yes. So uh, we are we are getting pretty close to time, but I did want to give us one one more chance. Uh, so and and we can put specific people on the spot, so I don't have to pick. So uh, Ed, if you don't mind starting starting off for us, uh, you know, been a been a good amount of time at this point. What what would you say the the thing that you've done thus far in your career that you're kind of most proud of, or the the contribution that you're like. That, that was my thing I did for the Marine Corps or, or your unit. It doesn't have to be personal. Well, I think, so me personally, my personal uh, most impressive thing, or I wouldn't even say impressive, just a uh, fulfilling thing that I've, that I've done is, uh, is just getting to lead. Like I told you before, I've had the ability to, to be a commanding officer on three different occasions or actually four if you count as a platoon commander. Um, having the ability to, to lead, influence, inspire coach, mentor, um, such talented people. I mean, that right there is by far the most fulfilling thing in my entire career. Now, if you want to talk about technologies and things like that, that we've done, I would say that we've done two things uh, over my last 20 months at the MACOG. And uh, the, the first one is, you know, we have really postured the Marine Corps. We have positioned ourselves now to to implement this hybrid cloud architecture. We've migrated the entire force on the unclassified network to Office 365. We would have never, we would never have been able to do this um, one year ago. Rewind to one year ago to early March. We just weren't ready yet. Um, we, we, we were getting close, but it took a lot of preparatory things. We had to rebuild and modernize the infrastructure. Um, we had to create capacity and bandwidth on the network uh, to support 
um, all the the additional bandwidth that was going to require to be able to get to the cloud. So we had to, you know, build it. Then we had to be able to monitor it, you know, and secure that that portion of the network, and then have visibility of it and be able to manage it. So those three things right there, being able to do that, really set us up for where we are right now to make us a hybrid cloud Marine Corps and uh, and really be on that cutting edge of the 21st century that JR was referring to earlier with Office 365. So I think that's probably been some of my greatest accomplishments and it'll probably be my legacy. I'll be the guy who brought, you know, 0365 into the Marine Corps. That's not too bad of a one uh, if you had to no, leave that, one. That's pretty decent. I'll give you a five out of five stars on that. Five out of five. Would eat here again. Yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, and JR, same same question. Uh, most proud of thus far in your career? Oh my gosh! I guess, I guess I think getting the right people promoted. Yeah that that is on behalf of everybody. Thank you. Yeah that that is something you know the admin and you know I think that's probably one of the things people will chalk up as the the thankless or unseen work, um, but. I would argue that's that's one of the more important ones for sure. And Rich, I think you had uh, one more comment you wanted to make before we uh, went to outros. Yeah. So I know we talked a lot about successes on this cast and, and rightfully so. We, we've had a good amount of them. And with these two gentlemen, uh, just being able to talk to them has been amazing. Uh, but one thing uh, I'd be remiss to say is that we can always get better, right? Um, and so if you're out there and you're in the DOD or you're in the public sector and you're implementing things like objectives and key results, or you're using private side practices that you're kind of doing daily, I, I would tell you after you land the initial culture change, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is like you have the right catalyst in place. Like you've done what General Glavy's done and what Ed and JR have done, and you've taken the chess pieces, you've gotten them, those people promoted and you put them in certain spots. It's really important to start thinking about the individual work and the events that that work is happening in, and if they're actually producing value the way you've designed them to produce value. So to be very blunt, I guess my only knife hand moment before I turn it, you know, to, to Kyle for you know a hot take is um, establishing a culture of no meta work is hard, but you have to do it right. So a three-hour planning meeting where you focus on a PowerPoint. Just remember, at the end of that meeting, you've planned right? You've built slides, but you've delivered no value. So uh, there's a lot of things written about the military and how PowerPoints kind of skewed people to building products like that. that don't actually drive value. They somewhat facilitate it. But I would, I would be remiss to say that we can get better. And if you're doing OKRs, it's okay just to talk about them during the OKR update and move forward and deliver your value. Uh, so thanks, John. And over to you, Kyle. All right. So this is actually a difficult episode for me to do a hot take on because we've talked about a lot here and and I feel both aware of what has happened because I have the context of having been a Marine for so long and completely out of the loop because so much has changed since I left the service, which is amazing. And I'll say this, I'm going to riff off of uh, Major General Glavy, who was our host just a couple of weeks ago and say a quote that JR and, or Ed actually took from him, which is he likes to move fast. And so I'm going to challenge everybody out there be like Major General Glavy. Move fast. Stress out a little bit, or a lot of it, the people who work for you to continue to move fast along with you. And remember, make it work, then make it fast, then make it work right and fast, right? Like it, there's an order and it can be ugly at first. All babies can be ugly at first. It's cool to get cute later. So 
move fast, be awesome. That's my hot take for today. All right. Thanks, Kyle. And uh, real quick before we do the outro, uh, either JR or Ed, do you want to plug any social media, which I'm guessing the answer is going to be no, uh, or do you just want to talk about a book or a podcast you're listening to that uh, you think our audience ought to do? So I'll, I'll go first if JR, if you don't mind. Um, no, yeah, no, no social media for me, but I, but I would say just for the, uh, the average listener out there, I think some, one of my favorite authors is, is Malcolm Gladwell. And, uh, and I know that many of you have probably, you know, listened to or, or read some of his, uh, some of his books, but yes. one of my favorites is, is outliers. I think outliers, uh, there's a lot of great stories that are, that are worth considering some good life lessons in there. And I won't go into, into each one, but, uh, but one of the stories is, uh, is about a, um, a big fish in a small pond with a bunch of other big fish. And, uh, and right now, um, I, I'm at the point in my career where I think I'm at, I'm, I'm one of the big fish maybe. And, uh, and JR is a big fish and we're in this really small pond together. And, uh, and every, and there's a lot of us out there, right. That are kind of kernels that are kind of big fish right now. And we're all fighting for a lot of the same, the same resources. And, um, and, and I think it, there's a lot of value in, uh, in the way that we have come together as a team. So we don't have to fight like we used to in the, in the past over rice bowls. And, uh, and I think, I think reading outliers, should probably give you a different perspective on, uh, on going forward. So I'll, I'll just stop there. Read Malcolm Gladwell, read all of his books and make sure you read outliers. Cause that's my fave over. JR up to you. Okay. I got, I do, I do have a plug and then a recommendation. I do. I have a cousin, smart guy. We do not know each other very well. His name's Chris Clearfield, same last name. He wrote a book called Meltdown, and it's about risk. He talks about Deepwater Horizon. He talks about other things. He talks about – you, if you're serious about things, you, you, you have to understand what your indicators are of risk. And, and guys, the only thing I think this might be missing today is about commanders, timing and tempo, and understanding of a risk. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. Like even like Kyle, help me out, right? Like even pirate industry, it's, this is risk. So he wrote a book called Meltdown. It's, it's, it's important. Okay. Thing two, the book, The General by C.S. Forrester. It's about a guy, right? Who, 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 I'll admit it. I see myself in him. He's just a plugger. Like he's just plugging along. He's a major in India and the British cavalry, and all of a sudden World War I breaks out. Next thing he knows, he's a three-star. And, uh, you know, guys get slaughtered. So, so C.S. Forrester wrote it. I, I think everybody, everybody, needs to, everybody needs to read this book. This is what happens if you're not paying attention, I think. You know, like I, I'm going to – he just – he couldn't adapt. And John – and Rich, I think you guys in my office have privately talked about this one chapter where there's like w- what we would consider a second lieutenant in the British cavalry. He's in this regiment and they're talking about this is the most story. You, you're so lucky. This is the most storied regiment in the British cavalry. And so this is 19, you know, 15 or, or 19, you know, 12, whatever. I'm sorry if I'm messing up the time and he he looks up there's an airplane flying overhead 
And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to be a part of. Like, that's the future. And the, and the major, who ends up being the three-star in the book, the protagonist of the book, he's like, he's so offended. He doesn't understand. And, and I think that's where we're at right now, right? Like, IT doesn't stop. You can make a machine not stop. And so we, we got to get our heads around that. Kyle, I'm looking at you. Help me. I, I, I promise I will try everything I can do. I love it. Hey, uh, everyone, uh, bo- both uh, Jer and Ed, thank you so much for joining us. And, and dear listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, just a reminder, you can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson. Our marketing support provided by Hector Alejandro. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review and any comment. Thanks so much for joining us.